Amen. Go ahead and open up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. And uh, I want to tell you all one of my favorite things about, one, just being a believer. Um, but one of my favorite things that I get to hear as a believer and as a pastor is when some other brother or sister in Christ shares about what God is doing, and, and I can hear them sharing it to other people. That is one of my favorite things to hear, not just as a pastor, but just as a believer is hearing other Christians sharing about God. Maybe it's just a testimony or some scripture. I don't know what it does, but it fires me up a little bit. All right. And when I get to see other people sharing about God and, and get to see someone gets um, someone getting excited about their faith. It just, it fires me up a little bit. Um, I don't know about y'all. Maybe I'm just weird like that, but I love it. And today um, we get to hear from two people in, um, in this story and Luke um, share their excitement about what they believe in in God. And I was all week long as I read this, man, it was just getting me pumped up and I'm excited. And so y'all need to strap in with me today. All right. And, and the challenge is, is that you get excited about your faith. If you're a believer in here today, the challenge is that you become excited about your faith and you go out and share it just like the people we're going to be talking about today. Amen. And so let's pray. I'm not even going to waste any more time. Let's pray. And I'm ready to dig in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, we're so grateful for the fact that you are with us right now, God. Uh, and Lord, we, we don't want to mess around with your scripture because your scripture is life, God. You, you have inspired this word for us for teaching and rebuking and for, for training in righteousness, God. So, Lord, I pray that as we look into your scripture right now, Father, that you would interpret this so, for us so that we can understand how we need to be living and applying it to our lives, God. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit. Use me as your microphone, God. Uh, forgive us where we failed you. Um, God, just guide us, Lord. Don't let us leave here unchanged, God, but give us the courage to listen and to see and to apply, God. Oh, Lord, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And if, you, if you're new with us today, we've been walking through the book of Luke. And this is the point where last week we were, I said Merry Christmas because Jesus was born, right? Uh, but this week we're, we're continuing in the birth of Jesus. And there's some key things that I don't want you to miss in these scriptures. So let's dig in. Verse 21, and at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised as Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here's some key things that I don't want you to miss about Jesus' birth. All right. And it's kind of awkward. We don't have to get into detail. If you don't know what it looks like, go Google it later. But Jesus' circumcision, circumcision is important. Right. And it's important for a few reasons. The first one is that that circumcision was commanded in Genesis chapter 17 for all males who would be a part of Abraham's household needed to be circumcised eight days after they were born. Right. And just make that real simple for you. If you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, Genesis 17 talks about Abraham and Abraham in that story was an old man. Right. You guys know this father, Abraham. I'm not going to sing it. But father Abraham was old. His wife was old. They were barren. And God promises them you are going to have a baby. 
And they laughed at him. He says, not just a baby, I'm paraphrasing here, not just a baby, but your offspring is going to outnumber the stars. And through your family tree, down your lineage is going to be the birth of a Messiah. Right. And so this is why it's important. This circumcision. Luke doesn't just write things just to write them. This is very important for us to realize that Jesus had to be circumcised in order for him to fulfill scripture. For him to be a part of Abraham, to be that promise that Abraham was made thousands of years before this, Jesus had to be circumcised, right? And I know it's a little awkward. I don't want to continue to talk about it, but here's the significant part about it. Okay, here's the actual significance of his circumcision is that this is when he was officially named Jesus. During these rituals, right, this is not a new thing. During these rituals, they would come to the, to the um, chapel or the temple, and they would um, do all these purifications. They would sacrifice an animal. They would do prayers and all this stuff. They finally named him Jesus, right? And, and I don't know if many of you know what Jesus' name means, but it translated, it, it's kind of like Jehovah is salvation, and Jehovah, Yahweh, which is Lord. So Jesus' name, he's officially named, this baby is named Lord is Salvation. Amen, right? Amen. This baby, Lord is Salvation. Jehovah is Salvation. And what most people today, I don't know if we fully comprehend what that means. Because we, we use Jesus' name just all the time. Whether it's in, in a church context, whether it's you stubbed your toe, right, and you said Jesus, right? I don't know if we fully comprehend the significance of Jesus' name. But the fact that Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation, man, that's a claim and a promise. That's a claim that if Jesus is Jehovah, Jesus is God. He is the Lord. That is a powerful, powerful claim. And the rest of his name, if, if, if he's Lord, that means he's also salvation. And that's the promise in his name. The claim is he's Lord. The promise is that he is going to bring salvation. And if you didn't grow up in the church, you don't really hear that phrase salvation kind of thrown out like it's normal. But salvation, what that means in the biblical context and what it means for you today is that salvation is you being saved from something. And the misconception of being saved from sin, you're not actually being saved from sin. You are being saved from the wrath that God has towards sin. I don't think we understand that. We're not, sin is bad. Sin equals death. The Bible tells us that. But I'm afraid of the wrath that comes from God towards my sin. And so if that's the thing, if sin is, is creating this wrath in God and it's coming for you, you need to be saved from that. If you believe that God is powerful, man, you don't want his wrath coming towards you. And so salvation means you are being saved, yes, from sin, but more importantly, you're being saved from the wrath of God that he has towards everything wrong that we've ever done in our lives. So the fact that Jesus' name is Jehovah is salvation, that should make you want to get up and clap one time. That is a claim and a promise. So I don't know what you believe in, but we sing songs about Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Yeah, we need Jesus. He's Jehovah is salvation. Think about that for a second. Because if that's true, Mary and Joseph's story is crazy. Think about that. Put that in, into perspective for a minute. You're Mary and you're, or you're Joseph, whoever you want to identify as, right? Put that in perspective. They were engaged together. 
right? Mary was a virgin. She, she never slept with a man. And all of a sudden, here comes an angel, right? God hasn't spoken a word for 400 years, right? Here's a little context for you. God, no one's heard a word from the Lord. And here's this virgin Mary who, who's supposed to be married soon, right, to Joseph. And an angel shows up and he says, hey, you are going to have a baby. The Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to conceive and you're going to name that baby Jesus. And that's not a, in that context, that wasn't an uncommon name. That's, that's a name that's, that's been around forever. But for her to hear your son, right? You haven't had sex before, but your son that's going to be conceived is Jesus, Jehovah is salvation, right? And then for her to go through her pregnancy and to have to give birth, and now they're in the temple, here he is. It's Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. Praise God. Think about that. Think about that story. God is good. And I don't know what you think of when you hear or even say the name Jesus. When Jesus comes out of your mouth, what does that do to you? When you hear, when you sing, when you're worshiping God and you're singing praises to Jesus, what does that do to you? It should, it should do something. A name that great shouldn't just be able to be spoken without it doing something to you. It excites me. And what's exciting is when I hear other people talking about Jesus. That excites me even more. So what I'm trying to say is if you want me to get real fired up, go around and start talking about Jesus. It'll change the whole way I preach in here, I promise you. If I know that you guys are out preaching Jesus, it'll change, I promise. We'll get it going in here. What do you think of when you hear the name Jesus? Also a part of that, that name, it has like a, a hint of kind of a... Um, uh, uh, a foreshadowing of deliverance. And so Jesus isn't just Jehovah. He isn't just Lord. He isn't just salvation. But Jesus' name brings deliverance. It's able to break you from the bondage of addiction, of pornography, of drugs, of alcohol, of lust, of temptation. Jesus is able to deliver you. It, his name, it just falls in place with his name. Jesus, Jehovah, salvation. Deliverance. That's my Jesus. That's the God I worship. And that's this baby that we're talking about here. Man, that's good. Amen? I hope so. I hope so. Luke continues to give us a little more detail of Jesus' birth. Um, right? Look at it again. Um, when the time, verse 22, when the time came for the purification, right, all those rituals um, to the law of Moses, they brought him into Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written for of the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this is important, right? Like I said, Luke doesn't just write things. He was inspired to write this. And this is a good reminder for us that Jesus was born into poverty. Right? If you go back into this law of the Lord, you go back into the Old Testament, if you could not afford to sacrifice a, a, a spotless lamb or an ox or whatever, the, the, the poverty sacrifice that was acceptable to God was two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so that tells us a few things about Jesus and his family. That tells us that he was literally born into poverty. And so, and we talked about this last week, and I wanted to make this very clear. Poverty is not a sin. It's a struggle, but it's not a sin. And you may be in poverty from your own choices, or maybe it's just life circumstances. But know that God can use you in your poverty to do something that even the most wealthiest people in the world cannot do. 
I want you to hear me. Poverty is not a sin, but God has placed you where you are at for a specific reason. Hang on. Hang on. Jesus was born into poverty, and we talked about that last week, that the heartbeat of the kingdom of God is humility, being humble, then glory. Right? And it makes sense that Jesus being born a, a baby in poverty will some point be lifted up as the high of the highs and the glory of all glories. Right? That's the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. I'm not going to preach that twice, but it just gets me fired up. I get excited. Okay, So now we're moving on. Luke is going to um, start talking about two people, and we're going to hear their testimonies here in a second. Uh, and so I want to introduce this next person. Look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. All right, so anytime that you see in the Bible uh, somebody's righteous, they're not saying that that person was perfect. What they're saying is this guy Simeon, right, he was, he was an older man for sure. Uh, we don't know how old, but he was an older man, uh, but he was living righteously. He was righteous towards man, meaning he lived an upright life. He tried to serve people. He tried to serve the church. More importantly, one of the things that he did was he was trying to give people hope in God's plan. You know, like I said, in this context, we haven't heard a word from the Lord 400 years. He still held on to that hope that God was going to do something. So he was righteous. Right. He lived upright. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing according to God's law. But other than that, it says that he was devout. So when you hear that, when they're devoted, that means they were devoted to God. He was devoted. He was trusting and waiting faithfully that God was going to do something. Now, I want you to look at me for a second. If you're a Christian, I want you to notice those are two very strong qualities of a Christian person. Those qualities, being righteous, trying to live upright, trying to serve everybody, not trying to get what you can out of people, but you serving others, and you being devoted to God, those are two qualities that should coexist in your life. That should be what you strive for. I want to be righteous among people. I want to not up here like I'm above you. I want to serve others, and I want to be devoted to God. Those two qualities should coexist. And so if that's not what's going on in your life, and this is a challenge for me, I have to keep this in my mind. I need to be upright for people, serve other people, not be fake, but serve other people and be devoted to God. That should be on your mind. Amen? Amen. Come on. The next thing it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that word consolation comes um, from the Greek Old Testament translation from Isaiah, which only refers to comfort from the Messiah. Isaiah 40, verse 1 says, comfort, comfort my people. So this consolation is comfort. He's been waiting on the comfort of the Messiah that was to come. The Savior that was to come. All right, y'all don't, don't, don't fall asleep on me. Don't fall asleep on me because this is what's good about that. He was waiting for the Savior. Okay? And I don't know if you missed this first 10 minutes or so, but I think we were introduced to who the Savior is. Right? Here's one character. We got Simeon who's waiting on the consolation, the comfort of the Savior. But before that, we were introduced to a baby whose name literally is salvation. Okay? So here he is. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. And here's why he's waiting. He hasn't given up yet. They haven't heard a word. He hasn't given up. And here's why. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's a big promise. 
So here comes, here comes the Holy Spirit. And he promises, hey, Simeon, before you die, you are going to see this promised Messiah. This, this Messiah has been promised for generations and generations. But before you die, Simeon, you are going to see the comfort of the Lord. You are going to see the Lord's salvation. I promise you this. If God promised me something like that, I would abuse it. If God told me, Donnie, you're not going to die until Jesus comes back. I'm abusing that. I'm going to every rough part of the world saying, you can't kill me. Let's go. Right. I'm doing it. I kind of walk around like that anyway, sometimes just the way I was raised. Right. It's dangerous. But I would abuse that promise that God, God, cool. I'm going to Iraq. Let's do this thing. Right. But the sad thing about that is that's how we should be anyways. That's how we should be anyways. We have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And you should already automatically be like that. Because we know to to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So even if they kill me, I'm with Jesus. I shouldn't have fear going anywhere saying, cool, you pull out a gun on me. I'm going to share Jesus with you. That should be the spirit that we have regardless. But it, it kind of helps when we have a promise, right? And we do have a promise to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So he has this promise. You will not see death until you have seen the, the Messiah, right? And so here we go. Look at verse 27. And he came in the spirit. And to the temple, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, all right, we'll get to that in a second. So I want you to see what's happening here. Here's Simeon, here's Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And, and Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're going into the temple. They're going to make these sacrifices. And here's Simeon, who's, who's a spirit's leading him. That's not uncommon to see before Acts, right, before the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's upon him, and he says, go to the temple, and he goes in, and they, and they just kind of run into each other. Have you guys ever experienced that kind of moment where you're like, okay, I know God made that happen, right? It's called a divine appointment, right? Here's a divine appointment right here, if you've ever seen one. And here he comes in, and he sees Jesus. He sees this baby, and he takes him into his arms. Look at how the Spirit was doing that. Look how the Spirit was moving in his life. He was promised that he would not see death until he saw the comfort of the Lord. And now he's holding the comfort of the Lord in his hands. Look how the Spirit, look how God moves. That's a big promise. But God is even bigger than his own promises because God is the biggest. Look at what he's doing. He's holding Jesus in his arms. He's fully embracing that comfort in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. This is his response. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He knows this. The spirit is telling him this baby Jesus is indeed Jehovah is salvation. He's experiencing this moment, such a peace. And as well, he should. Right. As well, he should experience this because he is holding what Isaiah 9, 6 describes Jesus as the prince of peace. He is holding the prince of peace. He is holding what the angels were singing about a month before this event happened out in the field with some ghetto shepherds praising God to the glorious and highest praise. This is Jesus Christ. And he is holding that baby in his arms. 
No one's getting to experience that. I, I've never experienced being, hold, being able to hold. I love babies, right? I love babies. I love holding them. They smell weird, whatever, right? I love them. But I have never experienced holding baby Jesus. But I have experienced what it feels like for God's arms to be wrapped around me in my darkest times. I know I have experienced the peace that surpasses anything that I can think of, knowing that it's God and his arms around me. I have experienced that. And when you experience something like that, it should change you because it's changed me. And so if you haven't been changed like that, you haven't experienced what that, what being in the presence of Jesus feels like. And I'm begging you to do that, to choose to be in the presence of Jesus because it changes everything. So here he is. He's holding Jesus. He knows this is, this is him. And, and look, I just want you to see. Look at his response again. Look at verse 29 one more time. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's ready to go. That's what depart means. Depart means that, that you're gone. I'm ready to go. I have seen the Lord. I've seen salvation. I'm ready to go home. Y'all know I love Christian rap, right? Andy Mineo, Christian rapper. He says, um, when I'm out of here, I won't miss it. I won't miss it. I'm ready to go home. He has seen the Lord. God made a promise. He waited for it. Now he's holding that promise in his hand. He was ready to go home because he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen this baby is God's salvation. And I want you to notice, he didn't say, my eyes have seen parts of your salvation. He didn't say that. My eyes have seen your salvation. And what he's trying to say is that Christ is enough. And what you need to realize is that with Christ, you have all that you need. You don't need anything other than Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the Lord's salvation. And that's good enough to save. So if you're a Christian, rest in that. Have comfort in that. What that says, Christian, is you don't have to work for God's salvation. What that says, if you're a Christian in here today, rest in the comfort knowing that your faith in Jesus and what he has done is enough to save. That's comfort. That's rest. I don't have to please God. God is pleased in his son. Rest in that comfort. It's Jesus plus nothing Rest in that. Amen? Amen. Now keep listening to his response. Look at verse 31. We'll do 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. All right? So now he's starting to preach. This is what I love. He's starting to preach a little bit. That peace, this peace that he's talking about, this is good news, so listen up, is for everyone. He said that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. Now this is huge. In this context, when he said that, that was huge because, okay, I don't know how many of you grew up in church. If you didn't, you've never heard the word Gentile before and that's okay. All right. But if you did grow up in church, you know what a Gentile is. I'll make it real simple. If you're Jewish, you're a Jew. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. 
Okay, just make it real simple. And so why that's important and what, and what Simeon is saying and what he's preaching and why he's getting fired up is that he's saying, God, you made it available, salvation and peace and light. You made it available, not just for Israel, not just for the Jewish community, but you made it available for everyone. And so it was big then in that context, because in that context, before that, Gentiles, man, they're sorry. You're not part of God's people. Right. And so that was big news then because now they're like, OK, wait a minute. Who is this Jesus? And now 2018, it's still big news because all of a sudden, if you don't realize, I don't know if you're Jewish in here. Awesome. I'm glad you're here. I love you. If you're not, you're a Gentile. You need to hear this because what this means is that Jesus and his salvation and what he did for you is available for you today. Without this, we're all in trouble. But it's available to all people, to all people. So all of a sudden, he's starting to preach a little bit. He's starting to preach a little bit, right? And so look, look at, look, it's good. 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. So what he's saying is that this, this baby would bring light and a glory of salvation, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. He is the savior of the world. All nations will come to him for light and for life and to be pardoned of their sins. And so what's happening to Simeon, he's having this 116 moment. All right. And if you don't know what that 116 moment is, it's exactly what Paul experienced in Romans chapter one, verse 16. For I am unashamed of the power of the gospel. For this salvation to all who believe first to the Jews, but now also to the Gentiles. So he's having this, I'm on a shame moment. This baby is the light of the world and it's for all people. Let him preach. Let him preach. And so let me ask you, man, if you believe in this, and you know, he was filled up with the spirit and he's going for it. And that same emotion that he had, the same unashamedness that he was experiencing, that should be what we be living like every single day. We reap the benefits of Jesus being born. Do you realize that? That we reap those benefits of Jesus being born, being circumcised, being named Jehovah's salvation, living a perfect life, being persecuted, dying on the cross. We reap those benefits of Jesus raising from the third day and now he's sitting at the right hand of his father in heaven. We reap those benefits. You have to understand that. Because without that, without all of Jesus being born, all of that, we're Gentiles without a chance. But Jesus is Jehovah, is salvation. My goodness. Now look, now he gets a little serious here. Look at verse 33, 35 through 35. He gets a little serious. He changes up a little bit. And his father and his mother marveled at what he said about him. I would too, right? Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for the sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So basically what he's telling him is like, yeah, this, this Jesus, your son, yeah, he's going to be a light. But unfortunately, he's the kind of light that exposes you guys know that, right? And because this life from Jesus exposes, he will have opposition. 
Right. And, and so I want you to think about Mary for a minute. She, she's hearing all these wonderful things about her son, but now she's hearing that he will have opposition. And we know that the opposition that Jesus had was a very violent opposition. The Pharisees, these higher righteous people, they, they literally chased Jesus town to town, trying to kill him, literally plotting. How can we stop this Jesus from going around and performing all these signs and miracles? And we know that ultimately, she didn't know it at this point, but ultimately we know that this opposition got Jesus. Beat him. And just like he said, it was pierced. His hands, his feet pierced, and he's dying on the cross. They speared him in the side. This opposition, this light exposes the righteousness, right? Exposes our heart. God knows what's inside of our heart. And so he's telling Mary, yeah, this is awesome, but he's going to die. And guess what? You're going to feel like you've got a pierce in your side because Mary would see her own son go through this. So the Spirit's just, just giving him this vision of the future. It's awesome. But in the same breath, it's the most devastating news that the baby would have to grow up and do that. And we know ultimately why he had to do that. We knew that in time, this child would have to grow up, expose everything that's going on around him, step up and take, like I said, that wrath that God has towards your sin and towards my sin and take it upon himself. That was the purpose. That's, that's what's happening here. And that through that, an entire nation, an entire world, would might choose to follow him. That entire world would one day have to choose, are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to oppose Jesus? That is your decision today. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to surrender your life? Are you going to experience that peace, that comfort, that salvation from your sin? Are you going to follow Jesus with all of your life or are you going to oppose him? Because there's no in between. If you follow or you oppose, you're a friend or you're an enemy. There's no in-between there. That we would all have to choose, are we going to follow this light or be exposed and become an opposition to God and his gospel? You have to wrestle with that. You have to wrestle with that. And if you don't, here, here's what we do. Turn to John 3.16. You guys know this, but I want you to see because I think sometimes we miss this. I'll go ahead and turn to John 3.16. Come on. I don't want you to miss this because this is this is perfect picture right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what we need to understand and what you need to understand, yeah, you need to be saved from your sins. That's a very East Tennessee Bible Belt type of saying. You need to be saved from your sins. But in reality, if you do not have Jesus in your life, if you have never surrendered and repented from your sins, it's not enough just to go, yes, I believe in God. It's not enough just to, oh, I said a prayer when I was seven years old. That's not enough. If you have never repented from your sins and chose to follow Jesus and believe on him, you stand condemned in your sin right here, right now. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but through him, if we believe and repent and follow him, we would be saved from our sins. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And we water that down into a few sayings like, you need to be saved from your sin, brother. Have you prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your heart? It's important. It's about you surrendering. You can't do anything but surrender to Jesus. You have to, if not, you stand condemned right here, right now. But Jesus didn't come just to do that. Surrender to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now look look at Luke, back at chapter 2. Luke kind of switches it up, and and now we get to see another uh, character in the story of, uh, of testimonies. And I love this part. This is one of my favorite parts of this chapter. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. All right, so here's what's awesome. You want to know what godliness and devotion looks like? Here she is. This older woman, some scholars believe that she was over 100 years old at this point. She was devoted. She was a prophetess. All right? That's not unusual, even in the Old Testament, to see God. He would, this is what God does. He would raise up women to be someone to speak life and to speak the word of God to. God would do that. And here's Anna. Here she is. And she's literally devoted and playing a big role in testifying on who Jesus Christ is. All right? I love this. Look at this. She was older. Older woman, like I said, maybe a hundred years old or so, we don't know. But she was a widow, she was older, but that did not stop her from doing good ministry. There is no retirement age in Christianity, I'm sorry. You don't get that comfort to retire from serving the Lord. But here she is, she's serving the Lord, she's devoted, she's, a, she's literally devoted to prayer, devoted to worship, devoted to the temple. Anytime those temple doors were open, she was in that mode. She was in there. Right here she is. And what that does is look now the spirit's leading her into the temple. Right. Look how God works. You say divine appointment, say divine appointment. appointment. Here she comes into the temple and she sees Mary. She sees Joseph. She sees baby Jesus being held by this guy, Simeon. And look at her response. I want you to see what she does. She literally begins to give thanks. Look at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's going off. She's literally giving thanks. And so what I want you to think about, if you believe the gospel, tell other people about it. 
If you believe in Jesus, tell people about Jesus. If you don't, don't. That's very simple. But if you believe in Jesus, your role is to literally tell other people about him. Even in her old age, she was thanking God for what he was doing. She was praising God. When you realize that God has sent a Savior and you, I mean, for you, you ought to be thankful for that. And unfortunately, guys, I, I want to say this in love. I, I don't want you to get your feelings hurt, but maybe I do. Some of you live your life like God owes you something. You, I, I see it. I hear it in some of the things that you tell, that you say to me, some of the things you post on Facebook. I see all those things, right? God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. God owes me nothing. But sometimes we walk around so ungrateful, so focused on the negative things in our lives. We forget how good God is and what he has done so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Don't become, don't do that. Later on in a few months, I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there, probably forever, right? But Luke 17 talks about that. There's 10 people, they're lepers, they have skin disease. And they come to Jesus going, Jesus, have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord. And Jesus heals them. You know what they do? They take off. They literally, boom, adios. Thanks, God. Appreciate the blessings. And one of them comes back and he's grateful to Jesus. And Jesus blessed them. Don't be like those other nine don't, don't become entitled to what God has done for you. Be like that one leper who came back to say thank you. Be like Anna, Anna who's literally just praising God. Before she even knew what was happening, she just came in and go, oh, praise God. I know, I know this, the Spirit's good. Praise God. I'm in the temple. Let's do this. Praise God. Not, but she doesn't stop there. Look at what she does. She knew that the blessing of the salvation was a straight gift from God himself. That in his love and in his mercy, he made this happen. She knew that. She knew that. And then look at her response. And coming at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She has her 116 moment. She's, she's unashamed. She's going around and literally just gossiping about Jesus. This baby was born, this Jehovah is salvation, here he is, and she's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be like Anna. Be devoted like Simeon. What we need to deal with today, and I'm going to have the, the worship team come up, we're going to end it with this. What we need to deal with today is that if this story of Jesus is true, if all of this about God and everything we, that, that God sent his son to take on our wrath for our sins, then we need to do something about that. If it's true, you need to do something about that. And like I said, the, the funny thing about it is the only thing we can do is surrender to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if this is true, we have to respond to that. So today, you have all heard the gospel. You've all heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You have no excuse from this point on. You've heard the good news. You've heard what it takes. It takes Jesus dying on the cross, taking on your, the, God, the wrath that God has towards you, and you surrendering to him, putting your faith and trust in him, and repenting of your sins. That's what it takes for you to be saved. 
You have no excuse. And you know that the Bible says if you do not have Jesus, you stand condemned already. But if that's you and you don't want that, you need a Savior and you realize that for the first time, maybe today, that you need Jesus, surrender to Him today. Surrender to Him today. It's more than saying a prayer when you were five or seven years old. It's more than that. It's about you living and surrendering your life to Jesus, Him being the Lord over your life, you having a relationship with Him. <coughs> Jesus is real. And He is good. And He wants to literally forgive you of your sin. If you're a Christian here today, your response, if you, if you believe the gospel, are you sharing it? If you're a Christian in here, how are you responding to this good news? How are you responding to the name of Jesus? Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe it's time to get a little more serious, a little more devoted. Maybe there's some areas in your life where you're not really living righteously. Right? We're not perfect, man. We're being perfected, but we're not perfect. So maybe, maybe there's some areas in your life that you just need to come and, and just ask for forgiveness for. But you, your option cannot be not to respond to the name of Jesus. It doesn't work like that. So we're going to sing a song. If you've never been here with us, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to be standing right here. If you want to pray, I would love to pray for you. If you have a question about surrendering your life to Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. But more importantly, I just want you to respond in how God is calling you because I know God is calling you. You can come kneel and pray at the altar. Come pray with me. I would love to. I'm going to have my wife standing over here with me. If, ladies, if you want to pray, I'll, if you just need prayer, we're here for you. But you have to respond to Jesus today. So let's stand up.